Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know, I love salmon so much that once in a while, I actually drive up to the Mattapedia River in Quebec to go fly fishing. But that's a whole lot of mileage for very few fish. The rest of the time, of course, I purchase salmon at the supermarket, and most of what I buy is indeed farm-raised. Moe Farm-Raised Salmon offers restaurant-quality salmon right to your plate, and they have been in the business for over 60 years. It's available in seven different origins, Norway, Scotland, Iceland, Ireland, Faroe Islands, Canada, and Chile. Each has its own distinctive taste and texture. They offer raw salmon fillets, but you can also purchase pre-seasoned portions or cold-smoked bites. And Moe salmon is available ready to eat with cold-smoked ultra-thin slices as well as center-cut loin. Please visit moeysalmon.us to learn more. That's Moe, M-O-W-I, salmon, dot U-S, to learn more. You know, I grew up with Vermont farmers who made do with tools they had on hand. A hammer, pliers, uh, and baling twine, of course, for most jobs. When I became a cook, however, I found that having just the right knife or maybe the perfect carbon steel skillet made all the difference. And the right tool also added pleasure to my cooking. I truly enjoyed my time prepping as well as cooking food. And that also goes for a car. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And that includes available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Buying furniture is not easy. You want well-designed pieces that fit into a modern lifestyle, yet the look should be timeless. And you want a custom experience creating furniture designed specifically for your space. My suggestion is that you check out Cozy, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture for modern living. Their high-quality products are delivered quickly and are easy to assemble. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, and credenzas. Their outdoor collection features high-quality modular sofas and sectionals made for outdoor living. You can visit their store in Toronto. Cozy now has expanded from an online market to their first in-person space, or go directly to their website at Cozy.com. That's C-O-Z-E-Y dot com. Transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com to start customizing your furniture today. I'm Christopher Kimball, and this is a special episode of Milk Street Radio. You know, over the years, we've had many listeners call in for advice about resurrecting lost family recipes. And that is, in fact, what inspired our new TV series called Milk Street's My Family Recipe, which premieres on the Roku channel on October 28th. On the show, my co-host Cheryl Day and I invite home cooks to Milk Street 
to teach them everything they need to know about recreating or rehabilitating a cherished recipe. Then we send them home to make the dish for their toughest critics, their families. So today we're going back into our radio archive to listen to some of our favorite calls with my co-host, Sarah Moulton, about family recipe mysteries. So Chris, before we take the first call, tell me about your first food memory as a child. My first fascinating food memory, from my point of view, was making, I was eight or nine years old, I baked a chocolate cake with seven-minute icing. It was either out of Joy or it was out of Fanny Farmer. It's one of those classic books we had lying around. We only had three cookbooks in the house at the time. And uh, it was my first real, you know, baking project. How'd it come out? The chocolate cake actually came out pretty well. You know, this was not a box mix. This is all from scratch. And uh, the seven-minute icing, which you know is a little dicey to make, came out like snot. I mean, it, oh, it was just no. like snot. And so, I, no, I carried on, you know, unperturbed, as Julia would do, iced the cake and brought it out. And this is a great case of why there are times when parents should lie to their children. Because it started my career, really. I mean, my parents had a great cake, everything else. And I was so proud of myself. And that actually was the, what is a moment when I really thought, you know, I really like baking and cooking. Uh, and if they'd said, look, what is this snot on this chocolate cake? I, I'd be an accountant. Today. Yeah. Oh, so, dear. Well, yeah. that's a good story. See, so lie or, or a white lie sometimes is, is just a good fine. Thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. Wow. Okay. Let's take some calls. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hello. This is Ashley from Ohio. How are you? I am doing wonderful. I'm so excited to talk with you two today. Well, let's see if we can help you. So uh, what's the problem? So my mom and I have had this family recipe for pumpkin rolls since I can remember. But the problem that we come across every year is cracking. And I've tried so many different solutions, and I just can't figure out how to get it to stop cracking when I unroll it to put the cream back inside. So I was wondering if you had any advice. So we're talking about a cake roll here, right? Yes, a cake roll. Do you try to roll it up pretty much soon as it comes out of the oven, or do you let it sit first? I used to let it sit, and that was the first solution I tried. So I will bake it for about 15 minutes, and then I pull it out, and I've started to, I used to flip it, but now I don't even flip it out. I just roll it right in that parchment, and then I let it cool. Okay. Check. Number two. You're using all-purpose flour or cake flour? I've used all-purpose flour. You might try cake flour because most cake rolls often call for cake flour because it's lower gluten and might be more Mm -hmm. flexible and easier to roll. okay. The last is you might add an extra egg or so. Eggs will make a more pliable cake roll, less prone to cracking because there's more fat in it. And go to cake flour and that might... I mean, I love cake rolls, and uh, you're right. This is a little tricky, but if you do those two things, you're doing the right thing by rolling it up right away. But cake flour mm-hmm. and add an egg. Sarah? I don't know what's wrong here, but I completely agree. What? I know. You're right. Stop the presses. <laughs> we have agreement here at Milk Street. Hey, actually, you've made us this agree. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we try that, but it sounds like a great sounds yummy. recipe. Yeah. Mm. What's the filling? Oh, yeah. Um, I do a cream cheese powdered sugar filling inside, and it's so good, mm. and it tastes great, but now I want it to look as great as it tastes. I hear mm. you. Well, hopefully that'll work. Will you let us know? Yes. I can't wait to try it. It'll taste good either way, so I will happily make more. Okay, Okay, good. Take care. Yes. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi, this is Bridget Ruthman in Sandusfield, Massachusetts. Hi, Bridget. How can we help you today? 
gosh, uh, what fun. Um, I am the child of a war bride and a military man who met during World War II. And I spent my childhood or part of it in Germany with my grandparents and my cousins. And they had a tradition of gardening that sustained them in the war and in the agricultural region was, was very common for everybody to have a big garden. And when I was a child, I have a very vivid memory of this incredibly fertile soil. It was almost greasy. And one of the things I remember so well was the potatoes. And I can just hear my grandmother asking, those two kartoffelhaben. And we heard it almost every single day. <laughs> As children, we got sick of hearing it. But now I just crave those potatoes. You can't come close to that in this country, really. The best you can do is Yukon Gold, but it pales by comparison to these potatoes. And they had no bugs, and they were just like treasures found in the soil. And how do we come close to this? Oh, dear. You know, it has to do with terroir. You know, it's like wine or anything else, and also probably care. But you probably can't find the exact same potato. I have a girlfriend who is married to somebody who's German, and they spend a certain amount of time every year in Germany. And I know that she has sometimes used a potato you can find here called German butterball. Yukon Gold is sort of not completely a waxy potato, but I think we're talking about a waxy potato. So any small yellow waxy potato, that might be something to look for. Part of it is who's growing them. I mean, I've grown potatoes for a long time, and they taste great. And the soil in Vermont is terrible. So it's not that we have great loamy soil, but, you know, it's like growing your own apples. So commercially, it's like the commercial tomato or the commercial apple they're not as good as a garden. And Maine seems to be a place where we grow potatoes in this country. And yet yep. there's not a lot of diversity, not a lot of choice there. But is there no. some variety out of Maine that seems to be fairly small farms and fairly well done, not mega commercial farms? So what would we choose there? Or what could I find as a seed potato to plant in the spring? Well, I do know, let's say in Vermont, some of the orchards are growing heirloom varieties. I just picked up a whole bunch recently. And I think that's probably true for potatoes as well. If you went to a farmer's market, you'd find some out-of-the-way varieties. I know the Green Mountain potato is sort of the standard potato in New England or at least in Vermont. But it's, you know, it's a baking potato. It's nothing special. I would go to a farmer's market. I agree with market. that, yeah. Portland, Maine on Saturday mornings has a fabulous farmer's market. And also Seeds of Change is that catalog, yes. which has all the heirloom varieties. I would look there, too. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. agree. Great, great point. Thank you very much for that. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Okay. Yep, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. This is Milk Street Radio. If you want to expand your pantry or maybe find a new favorite recipe, give us a call anytime. Our number is 855-426-9843. One more time, 855 426 9843 or email us at questions at MilkStreetRadio.com. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi, my name is Nina Cardinal. How can we help you? I've been making my grandmother's traditional fresh strawberry pie for years, and I have no idea what I've done wrong the last couple of times I've tried to make it. The filling is really simple. It's a cup sugar, a cup of boiling water, three tablespoons cornstarch, and three tablespoons of strawberry jello powder. And for whatever reason, 
I can't get it to set. It's just soup. Couple things. The amount of jello powder sounds a little scant. I would use, you know, powdered gelatin would be the obvious thing to use to gel a clear liquid, not cornstarch. Cornstarch would be more for a gravy or some other things. That was the original recipe was cornstarch? It's interesting. Not only is it the original recipe, but my mother at her home, who has, it was her mom who taught me how to make this pie, created it and said, I got it to set, brought it over. We ate it. It was delicious. She goes, what are you doing wrong? Who can't make jello? (laughs) (laughs) The time I made it, I actually added an extra packet of gelatin and it made it firm, almost too firm, quite gross, actually. Let me ask a question. Have you made this recipe and it worked perfectly? Yes, I have made it successfully in the past. And all of a sudden it stopped working. Is that right? Yes. Bizarre. And nothing was changed like... Maybe you used a different kind of gelatin or... Different kind of strawberries. The only things that I can think of are the recipe calls for you to add the dry ingredients in a saucepan, add a cup of boiling water, then boil that on the stove, and then cool it, and then pour it all over the strawberries. One of the times I didn't let it cool very much, and I thought, well, you know, who cares? It's going to go into the refrigerator. It'll set. It'll be fine. And maybe that's the problem. The second time around, I may have overboiled it. I understand yeah, that sometimes cornstarch yes. can, can like, break down. Um, That's exactly yeah. what I was about to say. You can't get cornstarch over 180 degrees or so. If you whisk it too much and cook it too much and heat it too much, it'll break down. Yeah. I would look at other recipes and see if they use powdered gelatin instead of uh, – the cornstarch is an outlier Weird. for me. I wouldn't use cornstarch here. There's also – there's two kinds of powdered gelatin. There's the low-sugar version, which comes in a pink package, and the regular one. Although this one seems Mm -hmm. like a fairly high-sugar application. So I would use powdered gelatin and look on the back of the box to figure out how much. Well, thank you. Okay. I really appreciate this. I love this pie, by the way. Oh, it's so fresh and delicious. And the best part about it is even ugly, soupy pie tastes good. Well, there you go. And then there's the version with pretzels (laughs) and, 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 and cream whip, right? That version. Oh, oh, and you make that often, the, the, huh, that, Chris? That strawberry pretzel salad. No, I'm just telling you, <laughs> when I had this 10 years ago, I laughed at it. I thought it was junk food, and I couldn't stop yeah. eating it. And we made it in Milk Street about six months ago for, just for fun. It's so good. It's Disturbingly really, refreshingly it's delightful. Just, it's it's one of those summer. things. Yeah, it's so okay. good. I pretzel might, salad. I might, you guys might have convinced me. Strawberry pretzel salad. Okay. Sarah, please try it. Yeah, I will. Come on. I will. <laughs> Give it a chance. Okay, Give, it a chance. Give Jello a chance. Yes. Thanks, everybody. Okay, I appreciate it. Take care, Nina. Bye. Okay, bye. You're listening to a special episode of Milk Street Radio. Coming up, we'll hear the listener question that inspired one of my favorite cookie recipes here at Milk Street. That's coming up after the break. I'm Christopher Kimball, and now here's a word from our friends at Allagash Brewing Company who love food as much as we do here at Milk Street. Hi, this is Jason Perkins. I'm the brewmaster at Allagash, and I've been making Allagash White in Portland, Maine since 1999. So a white beer is a very old style of beer. Traditionally, it was brewed with spices of some type, typically coriander and orange peel. And I think one of the things that makes Allagash White distinctive and different is the rare combination of complexity and drinkability. And it's sometimes remarkable to stop and realize that I never get tired of it. 
you know, I'll open a can or I'll pour a glass and the first sip and I'm like, man, this beer is good. <laughs> there are a lot of different ways that folks can enjoy an Allagash White. And here are some of the examples of what folks here at the brewery like to do. My favorite thing to pair with an Allagash White is simple, beautiful seared scallops over a bed of fresh greens with blood orange and shaved fennel. My favorite would probably have to be like an Italian or a hoagie, capicola, pickled vegetables, crusty bread. It's got that nice lemony, zesty character that just gets you ready for the next bite. The ultimate pairing for me is this dish called bosom, which is this like big pork shoulder with like salt and brown sugar. We also call it candy pork in my house and a little like scallion ginger sauce. It's like lettuce, rice, pork, sip of white, lettuce, rice, pork, sip of white, and it's just perfection. My other top choice was like a hot dog. Like just have a hot dog and have an Allagash White. You don't need to dress it up. There's something about mussels with beer, especially the white, that is just so good. I feel like it goes really well with different soft cheeses that aren't too dominant, but then also with like spicy Indian food. So I think it's just really versatile. I could imagine like something like um, like lemon meringue pie. That would be really nice. Pairing Allagash White with carrot cake is a thing of beauty. This maybe it sounds really boring, but pepperoni pizza. <laughs> I feel like after a long week having like a nice warm pepperoni pizza and a cold Allagash White is just <sighs> like you made it. Like you did your week. You deserve this pizza. You deserve this beer. It's perfect in summer. It's perfect in winter. I haven't really found a flavor that I don't think works really well with Allagash <laughs> Yeah, so not only do I drink it while I cook, I often cook with it. So if I'm creating some kind of stew, I'll add a little bit of Allagash White to it. A lot of people use Allagash White in like a fried fish batter. Anywhere where you can add like a spritz of lemon or a spritz of lime, that could be the beer. We are very food-minded here at Allagash, obviously. (laughs) And I think because of that, Allagash White is kind of subtle in a way that not all beers are, and I think that makes it very food-friendly. I think it tends to unlock qualities in the food that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily notice. Like it's not too hoppy or it's not too sweet, so it sits right in the middle and sort of brings the flavor of the dish to life. If you ask anyone here at Allagash, we're pretty much all stands for this beer. We love it so much because every time you have it, you pick up something new. Every time you come back to it, you're reminded like, oh wow, yeah, that's really good. This is Jason Perkins again. Just want to say thanks to everyone at Allagash for sharing. You can try Allagash White at home, too. Head to Allagash.com slash locator to find Allagash White near you. For 21 plus only, please drink responsibly. Allagash Brewing Company, Portland, Maine. I'm Christopher Kimball. This is a special episode of Milk Street Radio. In 2019, a listener's family recipe mystery got us pretty busy here in the kitchen in Milk Street, and it all started when we got this call. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? This is Jane. Hi, Jane. Where are you calling from? 
Rochester, Minnesota. Okay. And what is your question today? My paternal grandmother made a molasses cookie that was a family favorite. I have the recipe, but part of it is missing. I'm hoping you could complete the instructions. Oh, geez. Oh, this is, this <laughs> is like scary. This, this is like a <laughs> cookie mystery. I, I we could do a whole show on this. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about this cookie. The ingredients, which are one quart molasses, one cup butter and lard mixed, three quarters of a cup sour or buttermilk, two eggs, one half teaspoon alum, two tablespoons soda. Bring half of the molasses. Wait, 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 wait. There's no flour. There's got to be flour somewhere, right? That's right. (laughs) Part of the issue. So what's the procedure? Bring half of the molasses and the butter and lard to a boil. Yep. Add the other half of the molasses to the warm half. Then add the alum and the soda to the milk and bring to a boil. Stir stiff as you can. And that's the end. Well, a quart of molasses is a lot of molasses. You sure she didn't mean a cup? Yeah. Because that would make the most yeah, sense a, a cup to of me. molasses would make some sense. Yeah. It's a quart. Is this a cake or are these cookies? These are cookies, but it had the consistency of a cake. Have you gone online and searched for this and found anything? My aunt has uh, tried numerous recipes, and nothing has come close to this. And we have done some research, and just we're coming up empty. I think you probably need three cups of flour. I'm just going to make this up. And given the other ingredients, I would use a cup of molasses and everything else be the same. And give that a shot. So I think three cups of flour and a cup of molasses. You mix up the batter Obviously, bake it in a 350, 375 oven. Yeah. I would give that a shot. For about how long? 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And would you have a recommendation for a molasses? Yes. You you want a lighter molasses. I don't think you want a backstrap or anything too dark. I think you want to be on the lighter side. It's going to be so sulfuric and dark, it's going to really be not good. Okay. Yeah. And you might, you know, I don't know. There are no spices in here. I would... You know, ginger, clove, cinnamon, et cetera, typical in molasses cookies. Chris, you know, I think we also have to adjust the two tablespoons of soda now that we've downed the molasses to one cup. That's correct. Two tablespoons would be just a Overwhelming, huge yeah. One half teaspoon baking powder, two teaspoons soda. Okay. And this is one, okay, I'm changing my mind. We need to go back and do some research and test this, and we will post this recipe for you. Uh, at 177milkstreet.com. We'll post it on the forum we have. We've really got to take a hard look at the amount of flour, the amount of molasses. I I think we're in the ballpark, but we're probably going to have to adjust the flour amounts. Yeah. This is a tough one. You you, you get an A-plus for tough questions. (laughs) Challenging us here, Jane. (laughs) Okay, we'll we'll give it a shot. We'll get back to you. All right, thank you. Thanks, Jane. Bye-bye. So we made good on our promise to Jane and developed this recipe for chewy molasses spice cookies with brown butter icing. Here's Lynn Clark to talk about how we did it. Lynn, how are you? I'm great, Chris. Today we're doing something different. This is a recipe that was suggested by a caller, Jane. It was an old family recipe for molasses cookies. She had half a recipe, which wasn't that helpful. But it sounded like a kind of a different take on molasses cookies. So what is it that she made? 
Jane gave us a pretty detailed description of this cookie, and as you said, she had half the recipe, so we had a little bit to work off of. This type of molasses cookie is really big. It's about three inches in diameter, and it's more cakey than I would describe a typical sort of thin and chewy molasses cookie, kind of similar in texture to a black and white cookie, if you've ever had one of those, more like a cake than a cookie. And she gave us, as I said, half the recipe, but one of the ingredients she gave us was a quart I believe this is right, a quart of molasses, is that right? <laughs> that is yeah. correct. So naturally, in addition to kind of figuring out what this cookie was, we needed to scale the recipe down. So we worked a lot in the kitchen, tinkering with the proportions of the ingredients, including the molasses. Her recipe didn't have any flour or sugar on the ingredient list, so we had to kind of come to a conclusion as to what was missing and kind of put it together and recreate it. We went all the way back. This is sort of a vintage recipe from the late 19th century, and we kind of drew from those recipes and kind of recreated what we felt was what she was looking for. So we ended up with a chewy, it's chewy, right? It's, it's not crispy. It's a little bit chewy, but I would describe it mostly as cakey. It has an icing too, right? Right. So we couldn't stop with just recreating the basic cookie. We had to take it to another level. So we decided to modernize it a little bit. We added some ginger and cinnamon to it, a little bit of buttermilk because that balanced out some of that molasses. And then we top it with an icing. It's a brown butter icing. It has brown butter, powdered sugar, vanilla, mm. a little bit of buttermilk, really balances out the flavors in the cookie. I wonder if Jane will recognize this recipe by the time we get <laughs> I oh. think I think she'll recognize the cookie. I have to say this is my favorite cookie from this kitchen. I've eaten two dozen of these. Well, yeah. that's an endorsement for Jane. Uh, well, it's an endorsement for me, too, because I love molasses cookies. So a caller, Jane, uh, from a radio show, suggested a cookie. We did some research and came up with... I think a world-class chewy molasses spice cookie with a brown butter icing. Thank you, Lynn. You're welcome. You can get this recipe for chewy molasses spice cookies with brown butter icing at MilkStreetRadio.com. You're listening to a special episode of Milk Street Radio. After the break, we'll continue unraveling the mysteries of forgotten family recipes. That's coming up after the break. You know, wonderful pistachios have become my go-to snack. Now, I could list all the health benefits. They're a good source of protein, fiber, and unsaturated fats. But for me, flavor comes first, and that's why it's pistachios, not peanuts, in our household. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of flavors and sizes, including sea salt and vinegar, chili roasted, and smoked barbecue. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. That's wonderfulpistachios.com. You know, I grew up with Vermont farmers who made do with tools they had on hand. A hammer, pliers, uh, and baling twine, of course, for most jobs. When I became a cook, however, I found that having just the right knife or maybe the perfect carbon steel skillet made all the difference. And the right tool also added pleasure to my cooking. I truly enjoyed my time prepping as well as cooking food. And that also goes for a car. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And that includes available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, 
and available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You know, I love salmon so much that once in a while, I actually drive up to the Mattapedia River in Quebec to go fly fishing. But that's a whole lot of mileage for very few fish. The rest of the time, of course, I purchase salmon at the supermarket, and most of what I buy is indeed farm-raised. Moe Farm-Raised Salmon offers restaurant-quality salmon right to your plate, and they have been in the business for over 60 years. It's available in seven different origins, Norway, Scotland, Iceland, Ireland, Faroe Islands, Canada, and Chile. Each has its own distinctive taste and texture. They offer raw salmon fillets, but you can also purchase pre-seasoned portions or cold-smoked bites. And Moe salmon is available ready to eat with cold-smoked ultra-thin slices as well as center-cut loin. Please visit moeysalmon.us to learn more. That's Moe, M-O-W-I, salmon.us to learn more. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Christopher Kimball. This is a special episode of Milk Street Radio. Right now, we'll listen to a few more of our favorite family recipe calls. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi, this is Lola calling from Detroit. How can we help you? My dad would make Swedish spritz cookies mm-hmm. every year until so he passed away about a year and a half ago. So now I've taken on the tradition of making these spritz cookies, which were his great grandma's recipe. And I can't quite get the dough to be as fluffy as his was. And I'm wondering... If I'm not whipping the butter too much or not whipping the eggs too much, was wondering if you could help me figure it out. Uh, this is creaming butter and sugar, adding eggs, and then the dry ingredients. That's the basic concept here? Yeah. First of all, how much butter and sugar? It's about a cup and a half of sugar and a pound yeah. of butter. What's the temperature of the butter when you cream it? I usually leave the butter on the counter for a couple hours beforehand, so it's room temperature and a bit softer. And that could be the problem. The butter should be about 65 to 67 degrees. It should be malleable, sort of plasticky, but it shouldn't be soft. Two hours is going to be too long. I would say half an hour to 45 minutes would do it because you want the butter to not be so cold that it's not going to whip up. But if it's too warm, it's not going to be able to incorporate air as you cream it with sugar. That may be the problem. You're not getting enough air into that cream mixture. Sarah? 
I think really first and foremost, what Chris said will probably solve your problem. But the other thing is the flour or the sugar, either one, but the flour in particular, depending on who measures it, everybody measures it differently. You know, whether you pack it, whether you sift it in, you know, how you level it off, because you're probably measuring it differently than he did. I would try what Chris said and see if the texture just comes out the way you like it. If they still seem too heavy, you said they weren't light and fluffy, you might be actually adding more flour than your dad did. What's the texture of the cream, butter, and sugar when you're, and then beat in the eggs? Is it really, really light and fluffy and gains a lot of volume? It's pretty fluffy, yeah, and it changes color. I usually whip it for maybe like eight to 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and then add the eggs. And I whip those for maybe another five to seven minutes. That seems like an awfully long time. Butter and sugar, usually I would whip for five to seven minutes. Are you using a stand mixer or is this a handheld mixer? Stand KitchenAid mixer. I would whip it till it's really light and creamy, then add eggs one at a time, another 20 seconds of each egg. And you should be pretty much done with that. Right, Sarah? That sounds long to me. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Especially if the butter was a little bit too warm to begin with. How do you know when the cookies are ready to come out of the oven? What's your test? They will have just a little bit of brown on the edges. And when they're cooled, the problem is they're not soft enough? You want them to have a little bit of crunch to them, but they're still a little bit airy, you know? And mine are maybe a little bit drier. Sarah's got a good point. I would reduce the flour a little bit. Try like three and a half to three and two-thirds cups Yeah, I agree. Because it sounds like your dough's too stiff, and Sarah's right, it'd be too much flour. The other thing is I would take them out of the oven a little earlier. The center should be definitely not fully baked because there's a ton of additional baking happens when they're coming out of the oven afterwards. So underbake them by a couple of minutes and reduce the flour. Try that too. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Lola, give that a shot. See if that helps. And let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear back. I will. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you do have a family recipe that's incomplete or even just a distant memory, put Milk Street on the case. Just email us at questions at MilkStreetRadio.com. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? My name is Jessie. I'm calling from Toronto, Ohio. How can we help you? All right. As most of your listeners, I have been stuck in my kitchen for most of 2020, and I had made the decision to cook my way through my great-grandmother's cookbook. I have gotten into a bit of a sticky situation. I have tried to recreate her strawberry rhubarb custard pie. Mm. And when I made it, the crust stuck clean to the bottom. So I know that you are a bit of a pie guru, Chris. Can you help me? Sure. A custard pie, I would, uh, he said confidently, a custard pie should have a pre-baked crust. Are you pre-baking it? No, and it, and in directions, she has handwritten, do not bake crust. Okay, we'll go down two roads. The first is if you don't pre-bake it, use a Pyrex pie plate and okay. line it and then put it on the bottom rack of the oven. And you have a pretty good chance of getting that bottom crust pretty well baked, even with a custard pie. Don't use a tin pan, use a Pyrex pan. That's the no-bake solution. If you do want to pre-bake it, Line the pan, put it in the fridge for 20 minutes, put it in the freezer another 20 minutes, and then blind bake it at like 375 with uh, weights and foil. One trick is don't take the foil out until 
the crust is dry. If it's still sticky, leave the foil on it 20 minutes, a little more, and then take the foil out and then finish baking a few minutes to just lightly brown and let it cool a little bit. Is the custard, it's not cooked on top of the stove at all before it's put into the pie? Is it just in a bowl, right? Yeah. You can leave the crust actually pretty hot when you fill it and then put it into the oven. Sarah? Well, I mean, this is rare, but I completely agree with everything that Chris said. Woo! I know. Dear diary. <laughs> that all makes sense to me. And I know, you know, you're probably feeling like it's terrible to change the recipe because it's your great-grandmother's. Yeah, I've been working my way completely through her handwritten cookbook over the last six months. That is so great that she did that. Are most of the recipes terrific? Yeah, except for the aspects. Uh, oh my goodness. We're not a big thing in the aspects. And I also found a horseradish apricot sandwich spread, which mm. would have been very interesting. It's so interesting you mentioned aspects, because aspects used to be a thing. They were huge. And nobody ever makes an aspect anymore. But you know what, Jessica, if you had the energy, you might want to update the recipes and publish it, I mean, for the family at least. This has taken me all over Pennsylvania in the last six months, meeting people in a lot of different aspects. It's been really interesting. That's great. In the cookbooks, I found a diary. She ends up at the Lincoln Memorial, unveiling of the Lincoln Memorial. Wow. And she says it's the most splendid piece of architecture that she's ever seen, and it's in 1921. So it's been fun. That's cool. I just also wanted to say, guys, I've been listening to the two of you for over 20 years. You have influenced my home cooking in ways you will never imagine. So thank you for teaching all of us. It was wonderful to talk to you two today. I just wish my kids listened to me. (laughs) Jessica, you made my day. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Take care. After solving her pie problems on radio, Jessica came to us with yet another culinary challenge. You can see her, along with nine other home cooks, on our new Roku original show called Milk Street's My Family Recipe. Stream the entire series for free on the Roku channel starting on October 28th. You can find the recipes featured on this TV series on our website, from coconut layer cake to caramelized onion calzone. And when you become a Milk Street member, you get full access. It includes these recipes and every recipe we've ever developed along with access to all live stream cooking classes, free standard shipping from the Milk Street store, and more. Just visit 177milkstreet.com to sign up today. You can always find all of our podcast episodes on MilkStreetRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Instagram and Twitter at 177milkstreet, on Facebook at Christopher Kimball's Milk Street. And thanks, as always, for listening. Radio is produced by Milk Street in association with GBH. Co-founder, Melissa Baldino. Executive producer, Annie Sinsabaugh. Senior editor, Melissa Allison. Producer, Sarah Clapp. Assistant producer, Caroline Davis, with production help from Debbie Paddock. Additional editing by Sydney Lewis. Audio mixing by Jay Allison at Atlantic Public Media in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Theme music by Chubop Crew. Additional music by George Brindle Egloff. Christopher Kimball's Milk Street Radio is distributed by PRX.